For more presentations like this, visit www.xenos.org. So we want to talk about the peace of God tonight. And one of the things you should notice as a real characteristic of Christians is that there's a sense of peace and happiness that they happen to exude in their lives. Why don't we begin? Philippians 4, verse 4. Paul begins with a pretty stunning statement. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now you think to yourself, okay, he's got to be kidding. Rejoice in the Lord always? I mean, how is that even possible? I think we probably look at this and think, surely Paul must be using some sort of purposeful overstatement or hyperbole. After all, it's impossible to rejoice always. And yet, when you look at the language that Paul uses, he repeats himself. He says, rejoice, and I'll say it again, rejoice. And anytime you read the Bible and you notice that an author repeats himself, that's typically a sign that they're trying to emphasize something important. And so I don't think that Paul is just using hyperbole here. I think he actually means that we should rejoice always. Now, what does it mean to rejoice? Because maybe the devil's in the details, right? I think for a really long time, I used to teach that this meant that we should have a, a sense of assurance that God is going to take care of us and meet our needs and to make us uh, to fortify us during even really difficult times in life. And even though I think that the Christian idea of joy includes that, this sense of assurance that God is in control of the situations that we face in life, I think that what he's talking about here is even more than that. I think what happened was I was sort of falling into this Christian tradition of interpreting the word rejoice as not a feeling, but a choice. For example, you'll see one Christian writer who says, we don't get joy by seeking a better emotional life because joy is not an emotion. It's a settled certainty that God is in control. Or for example, another says, joy is not an emotion, it's a choice. Still another says, joy is distinctly a Christian word and a Christian thing. It is the reverse of happiness. I mean, when, when you talk to a normal person on the street and you say, what do you think of when you hear the word joy? What do they think? Happy, gladness, right? Those words are synonymous. And yet, for some reason, Christians have reinterpreted this word to mean something other than what God intended. You see, the Greek word for rejoice, kara or kairo, could be translated to be happy or to be glad. Let me give you an example straight from the book of Philippians. In Philippians 2, verse 27 through 30, Paul is talking to the, the Philippians about this guy named Epaphroditus, who they know. He says, I'm all the more eager to send Epaphroditus to you so that when you see him again, you may be glad, Cairo, and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, Kara, and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. 
So in the context, what is he saying? That they should have a settled conviction that God is in control of this situation? No. They should rejoice. They should be happy that this friend of theirs who they thought was going to die of an illness actually survived by God's grace. And so we see that there's a range of meaning here where in the New Testament this word could mean something like a settled conviction, but most often it's used to describe happiness, to be glad. Now, why does this matter? I mean, are we just like studying this and just being bookish? I think the first thing is the human heart strives for happiness. You know, you think about people and what do they want most in life? It's to be happy, right? The pursuit of happiness. And a lot of you came to Christ because you came to a point in your life where you realized there's something missing and I want to be happy and I'm not finding it in the things that I'm doing. L.K. Washburn says, everybody wants to be happy and thinks, strives, wishes, and lives to that end. It's natural for human beings to want to be happy with their lives. Secondly, no one would become a Christian if Christianity didn't make people happy. Imagine I came to you and I said, hey, I've got a proposition for you. Put your faith in this thing and it's going to make you unhappy, more depressed, and more anxious. What do you think about that? What would you say? Yeah, sign me up. That sounds great. No. The reason why many people place their faith in Christ is because it brings about true happiness. You think about dour, mopey, and severe Christians, and it leaves people with the wrong impression about God. Think about what non-Christians associate in their minds with Christians. Words like insensitive, judgmental, and hypocritical come to mind. And what kind of people are people who are insensitive, judgmental, and critical? Unhappy people, right? The other thing is, you'll see some Christians who grow up in church, and they were surrounded by Christians who are hypercritical of everything that they did. And what, what happened when they came of age? They fled the church to try to find happiness somewhere else. Whereas the Christians who were surrounded by other believers who are happy, and they look back on their life growing up in the church, and it was filled with joy and gladness, fond memories. What, is it, what does that do? It, it causes those believers to want to follow God long term, and those who left periodically for them to return. Not to mention you think about some people who are Christians and it's just like anytime they see somebody having fun, they frown. Shoulders slump. They're just constantly judging people for having a good time. And they really think that, you know, living the Christian life is about being tight-jawed in your commitment to follow God no matter what. Instead of this idea that it's about happiness about the joy of following God. Well, Christians should be happy because God wants us to be happy. And yet, one of the things that's really sad is that even though we could say that intellectually, I, I know that God wants me to be happy, 
in practice, we live lives that sort of suggest that we don't really believe that. Think about times in your life when you felt really happy with your circumstances. Maybe you're in a relationship that you felt like was happy, you really liked that person. You had a job that was paying all of your bills. You're surrounded by friends that love you. You're in fellowship with God, the creator of the universe. And so you just feel this sense of happiness. And yet, you're waiting for something to go wrong. You know, you're waiting for something to happen, to disrupt that happiness, right? Or maybe you're stuck with a a really big decision in your life that's complicated, and so you decide that you're going to seek out God's will in the matter. And of all the options that are available to you, one of them is the option that you actually want. You desire that. And yet you say to yourself, there's no way that that's God's will for my life. Why would we think that? Why would we think that God doesn't want us to be happy? You know, God is happy. And so he wants us to be happy too. Think about what Scripture says on this. Zephaniah 3 verse 14 where God commands Israel, Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. Or, for example, what Jesus says in Matthew 5 verse 12, Be happy and excited. You will have a great reward in heaven. The thing that's really interesting about this is that these aren't statements of fact. They're commands, right? Notice what he says. He doesn't say, you have reason to rejoice in the Lord always. He doesn't say that. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. It's a command to do that. Now, again, we have to qualify this. This doesn't mean that we'll never experience sadness, griefs, grief, or bouts of depression. That's all part of the ebb and flow of living in this broken, fallen world. That we face tragedy. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that we should grieve with those who are grieving. So we'll see that our lives are sometimes punctuated with times of intense suffering and trial. But if you take a step back and look at the whole body of work that God has done in your life, you see that there's much to be happy about. I was talking to a leader in our church about this, and he's like, are you telling me that I should just be happy all the time? That doesn't make sense. And I said, listen, I know that you have struggled with depression and anxiety over the last couple years, but let me ask you this. If you look at your life, are you telling me that you're unhappy with your life? He's like, well, no, I'm not saying that. Of course I'm happy. And so the thing that we come to realize is that even though there are times of sadness and unhappiness, and even though we can feel a sense of happiness in the midst of our suffering, for the most part, God gives us a life that's filled with happiness and joy. So you might be asking yourself, so how do I just make myself rejoice? You're just telling me, be happy? I should will myself to be happy? Well, there's a little bit more to that. Paul says this in verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. Again, another shocking statement. Wait, just don't be anxious? Okay, I'll get on that. Thanks, Paul. (laughs) Thanks for the help. 
he goes on, he doesn't just say it in the negative. He also says, in addition to that, in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So he doesn't just say, stop being anxious. He says, instead, what you should do is you, t- you should turn to God in prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So again, I don't think that Paul is using hyperbole here. There isn't really much wiggle room between nothing and everything. So I think he's, he's actually telling us that we should not be anxious. You know, many in our culture today struggle with anxiety. It's growing almost as an epidemic in our culture today. And we find that this actually has been exacerbated by the pandemic. The American Psychological Association recently put out a study that says that nearly 8 in 10 adults, that is 78% of people in America, say that the pandemic is a significant source of stress in their lives. And then they zoom in on particular generations, and they found that Gen Z adults, those ages 18 through 23, are at a pivotal moment in their lives and are experiencing adulthood in a time when the future looks uncertain and bleak. They go on to say this this may be driving key differences in reported stress as Gen Z adults report the highest stress levels on average at 6.1 on a scale of 10 And this is significantly higher than all other generations. I think a lot of us are feeling this sense that the future is not bright. I'm living in a world of uncertainty. And the pandemic is just confirming the fact that everything in life is uncertain. And so that causes worry. That causes stress. I think... Our culture today has a a variety of different uh, strategies for dealing with anxiety. And, you know, we covered this a few years ago when we did our Finding Peace study. The ones that I think are most common is just trying to stop thinking about your worries. You know, many well-meaning friends and family members have said this to us. Just stop thinking about that thing you're worried about. And yet, it doesn't work, right? Right? David Wenger, a famous psychologist, did a study called the White Bear Study. And we did this a couple years ago during our Finding Peace series, and I just want to confirm if this is still true. So why don't everybody here, let's close our eyes. Close your eyes. Everybody, okay, you're the only one with your eyes open. Okay, So what I want you to do is I want you to imagine a white bear. You know, the kind that shows up in the Coca-Cola commercials that are rolling around in the snow. Those cute polar bears. Okay? Now, what I want you to do now is I want you to stop thinking about white bears. Whatever you do, stop thinking. Don't think about white bears. Okay, open your eyes. What just happened? Didn't work, did it? Right? And this, this really fits with the research that David Wenger did where he found that when he told people to stop thinking about white bears, what happened? There was a significant increase in them thinking about white bears. And why is that? 
it's because thought stopping doesn't work because you inevitably experience what's called thought rebounding, right? You can't just erase your memory and stop thinking about something. And a lot of times, it takes a lot of mental energy thinking about the very thing that you're trying to stop thinking about. And so that whole concept that I just need to stop thinking about this thing that I'm worried about doesn't work. And that actually fits with what Scripture says, that God doesn't want us to just try to pretend like this problem doesn't exist. That's not what he means by don't be anxious. Instead, he wants us to face it because we have true hope and peace in Christ. Another way that we try to deal with our anxiety is numbing yourself with alcohol, drugs, and food. You're worried that you might lose your job, so what do you do? You eat a lot, and it gives you temporary comfort, right? Or maybe you're worried about going into a social situation like a party, so what do you do? You have a few drinks to kind of take the edge off so you can relate better to people. And again, what is the problem with numbing yourself? Well, first of all, the great appeal of numbing and escape is that it works immediately and it's easily available, but the problem is we're just simply putting off the cost till later. It comes back. Secondly, numbing yourself with these substances tells you that you cannot handle your worries or your feelings. It it tends to confirm the fears that we have and reinforces them because we're running away from our problems. In reality, the thing that really will help us is to look at our problems and to realize the things that I'm worried about are irrational. But by numbing ourselves with substances... We never get to that point where we're analyzing our thoughts. The last one is avoiding discomfort, right? We're worried about a social situation, so what do we do? We just avoid that, right? Or let's say we have an assignment that we are stressing out about. What do we do? We procrastinate. And the thing with, with avoidance is that it tends to make things worse, right? You're worried about this assignment that's coming up or this deadline, so you procrastinate, and what happens? It creates more worry and anxiety because you fall further and further behind. And so we see that avoidance doesn't really help because it ends up causing two things. It increases our anxiety, and it also exasperates the problem that we're running into. And so, really, when we look at anxiety, what does it imply in general? I think, first of all, it implies that God cannot be trusted. Right? That's really at the root of anxiety. Because what we've done, according to Scripture, is that we have thrown off God's leadership in our lives, and we've decided, I'm going to take up responsibility for myself. I'm going to take care of myself. So what happens? We feel responsible to try to create meaning and significance in our lives. We are shouldering all of the responsibility to meet our needs financially, relationally. We feel this sense of responsibility to try to create our own sense of identity from the things that we do. And so we feel this tremendous weight on our shoulders instead of turning to God who wants to provide for us freely. 
Also, it suggests that we want to be in control. Really, when you look at our lives, it's one big power struggle between us and God, where he's trying to wrestle control away from us, and we're trying to hold on. Why is that? You know, the reason why we want to maintain control, even though God offers us at times where we feel really vulnerable and helpless, the reason why we resist God is because we know that if we accept his blessing and his influence in our lives, it implies that then we have given over a little bit of control to him. And we don't like that because we want to be the ones to direct our own lives, not him, right? And so really, anxiety is about trying to control my life. And yet, the reality is we cannot control our lives no matter how hard we try. We do that in vain. And yet, God is offering to take control of a situation that's out of control. He's sovereign and he loves us and he offers to give us guidance and to influence our lives. Also, a lot of anxiety stems from a fear of death. You know, a lot of people, when you ask them, what do you think happens when you die? They don't have an answer. Extremely intelligent people. People who are getting like their PhD never ask themselves a question, what happens after I die? Why is that? It's because there is this fear that enslaves them. They know that there is this sense of uncertainty of what lies beyond this life. And so there's this sense of doubt as to whether the things that I'm giving my life over to, whether the relationships that I'm investing in, when, whether all of those things even matter, because one day that I'm going to die. And so what do we do? We, we just focus in on the things that are right in front of us, and we just sort of go through the tasks that we need to complete. And we're not mindful of what's going to happen. Because we know when we start thinking about that, we know that death is imminent. This is what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 2, verse 14 and 15. He says, Jesus shared in our humanity so that by his death he might free those who are all their lives held in slavery by the fear of death. You see, we're under bondage to this low-grade sense of anxiety that one day we are going to die. And so we try to put that out of our minds, and yet that sense, it haunts us day to day. It causes us a lot of worry. It's sort of like, you know, a background process, like, like you know, Google Chrome running in the background, sucking all of that, those resources, and you don't even realize it. And yet, one of the things that God says is that we no longer have to fear death. That, in fact, he's given us victory over death. The Bible declares that Jesus has defeated the final enemy, that is death. And he did that through Jesus. God sent his own son, Jesus, to pay the punishment of eternal death that we deserve to pay because of our wrongdoing so that he can give us eternal life. And that's the message of 
the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he says that we shouldn't be anxious, but in everything by prayer. This seems intuitive. When you're feeling anxious, you should pray to God. And yet it's amazing how even though in theory that makes sense, in practice it does not happen. I mean, just last week, I have to admit, I was feeling some anxiety. You know, I I would check my email and my inbox would just keep filling up with more and more emails. And I felt like I was barely keeping up. I was procrastinating on this teaching, stressing about it, putting it off. Then I knew that there were these important meetings this week that I had to go into and, and I was a little bit nervous and worried about those things. And so for about two or three days, I was feeling this sense of anxiety. And on Friday, I realized, wait a second, I have not even talked to God about this. Amazing. I went two or three days without even talking about, to God about this thing that had been worrying me. And so I just turned to him in prayer and just admitted, you know, I, I've been feeling worried about this and, and I don't know what to do about it. And it was amazing how there was almost an instant sense of relief that I felt. Not that it all went away, because I still needed to put in the hard work of working on my teaching and trying to answer emails diligently, but there was this sense that I involved God into my life. And a lot of times it seems really weird to talk to God about things that seem unimportant, right? I mean, why would God care about whether you can pay your phone bill on time? Or why would God care that you are feeling stressed out about your injured arm or foot? I mean, this is the God of the universe who's sovereign. Why does he care about you and your problems? Well, Scripture tells us that God wants to be involved in even the minute details of our lives because he cares about us and that he encourages us to turn to him. Also, he says that we should do so with a petition. We don't use this word very often anymore, but it just simply means to ask God for a request, asking him to grant you something. And so turning to God, not only in prayer, but also saying, hey, God, please help me with this. I need this thing. I'm worried about it. And yet, Many of us have done that before where we go into a time of prayer, we're stressed out, we turn to God, please God, help me out with this thing, amen, and then we walk out of there feeling even more stressed out. You know what I'm talking about? That's because it's not enough to simply turn to God in prayer and make your requests known to him. You need to do it with thanksgiving. Now, why... Is it important for us to express gratitude to God? Well, there are a lot of studies on this concept or, or topic of gratitude. Emmons and McCullough, these psychologists, wrote a book on gratitude. And one of the studies that they conducted was they asked subjects to list five things they were grateful for once a week for several weeks. And then they had another cohort that they said, I want you to list the irritants and hassles that you experienced that week for five weeks. And then they study the outcome of their well-being in the aftermath of this. What happened? 
those who said that they, they were listing out five things that they were grateful for noticed that their well-being increased dramatically compared to those who are listing all the irritating, irritating things that they experienced within the week. Not only that, they also described feeling like some of the health problems that they were having, the aches and pains, some of those things started to disappear as well. Not to mention, uh, they, they noted that the subjects who went even further and expressed their gratitude to another person. In other words, they were like, I'm just so grateful for these things to a friend. That the, the results of that were long-lasting. It didn't last just for days or weeks. It lasted for months afterward. And that's amazing because uh, this injunction that God gives to us to rejoice and to, and to be thankful it really fits with the science where God is telling us, I want you to turn to me, another person, and to express your gratitude. So how does Thanksgiving help ease our anxiety? I think, first of all, we're assuming a posture of humility in prayer. It is a way of communicating not only to God, but to ourselves. I can't handle this situation. This thing is out of control, and I need you, God, to help me out here. And so we're taking a posture of humility when we turn to him in prayer. It's an admission that I, I can't handle this on my own. I need you. Secondly, thanksgiving is a means by which we're able to trust God. As we start to enumerate all the things that God has done for us in the past and express gratitude for those things, what happens? We start to look at the present situation that seems so big and it starts to shrink in light of all the things that God has done for us. And as we acknowledge that he's taken care of us lo these many years, we then can come to the conclusion, I think that he can take care of me in this situation as well and on into the future. Also, Thanksgiving gives us a broader view. It helps us to take a step back because, you know, a lot of times when we're worried about that thing, we're sitting there, we're parsing it out, we're overanalyzing it, we're worrying about it, we're stressing about it, and we're, our, our eyes are just locked on this thing that we're worried about. And what expressing gratitude does is it allows us to take a step back and to see the bigger picture of what God is doing in our lives. And so it helps us to give us perspective and finally, it challenges us to put our faith over our feelings, which seems a little counterintuitive, especially in our culture today, where what our culture would tell us is that what you feel is what is real. You know, whatever you feel, that's what matters. And yet, what the Bible says is just the opposite of that. That if you cling on to these feelings, that you're never going to get to the point where you can actually rejoice in the Lord. You know, I think it's really hard sometimes to do this because when anxiety hits you, it's like getting hit by a bus, right? It's all at once, it's unexpected, and it's just, it's, you're just out of it. And so it's hard to be like, okay, I'm just going to stop being anxious now. Just gonna, you know, stop being anxious now. And you can keep telling yourself that, but it's not gonna work. 
And yet, when you start to think about all the things that God has done for you, I come up with a, a physical list sometimes because it gets so bad. And I just, I just start thinking, okay, God, I'm grateful that I'm healthy. I'm grateful that I can walk. I'm grateful that I live in a country where there is clean running water. I'm grateful that there are toilets that flush. You know, just real basic stuff, right? And then you just, you, you keep going and you start to realize, you know, this thing that I'm so worried about is really nothing in comparison to all that God has done in my life. You know, the thing that I'm worried about is not jeopardizing God's grace from what I can tell. God happens to be seated on his throne, even though I have this big problem in my life that I'm stressing about. And so we need to get to the point where we are starting to see the truth. You know, and the thing is, I'm not playing mind games with myself, right? This isn't some sort of mind over matter. The things that I'm actually grateful for are things that I should be thankful for. They're true. And so I'm simply acknowledging what is actually true, things that I should be thankful for. I heard it put this way. It's important that when you're feeling stressed out or anxious, that you continue to thank God until you feel thankful. Thank God until you feel thankful. And it's not going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to take some work because there may be serious problems in our life. And so it might take some, some time struggling in prayer, trying to cultivate gratitude and thanksgiving, even in the midst of a really difficult time. And the struggle and the, and the, the suffering that we may experience is so intense that we may need to go back and thank God again as those feelings of anxiety start to well back up. Now, I want to qualify this again by saying that those with acute anxiety may need treatment and medication. Some of us may have diagnosed or undiagnosed general anxiety disorder, OCD, panic disorders, things that are related to anxiety. And maybe we need to go and see a doctor, get some professional help. Maybe we need to get medication to help us out. But here's the thing. If you think that a pill, pop, you know, putting a pill in your mouth every single day is going to just completely fix all your problems, you're going to be disappointed. The thing is with medication is that your medication gets you to the point where you can have your head above water and think clearly. And so it's in addition to being medicated, properly medicated, but also cultivating gratitude among other things that's going to help you Win victory over your anxiety. And then he says that after all of these things that you should, after you present your request to God, that the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so we see that there are different kinds of peace that are offered to us. And the kind of peace that God offers is this peace that transcends all understanding. 
It's a peace that only comes through Christ. Notice, too, that thanksgiving is not the result of peace. It's the cause. You know, it's not like you get to the point where you're like, okay, I feel peaceful. Things are all right in my life. Now I feel really grateful. I'm able to thank God. No, it's as you labor to thank God in the midst of a difficult time and anxiety that you then can experience the peace that comes through Christ. Jesus says that there is two different types of peace in John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you peace as the world gives. So he says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So really, there are two different types of peace. There's peace that comes from the world and the peace that comes from Christ. The peace that comes from the world is financial security, you know, getting to a place where I have enough money, where I don't have to worry about paying my bills anymore, where I have enough of a buffer so that I don't have to stress out when something happens. And so we try to amass enough money and things to make us comfortable so that we have this sense that, okay, all is right in the world because I have enough stuff. You know, for others, it's having our circumstances working for us, not against us. You know, you think about having a bad day. Some of you had a bad day today. I can just tell from your countenance. Your circumstances are not working for you. They were working against you today, right? You're stuck in traffic. You lost your keys this morning. You were late to work. You know, you pulled your, your clothes out of the dryer and you can't find any matching socks. You know, and these seem like really trivial things, but they start to add up, right? And they cause stress and anxiety. And we feel like if I can just minimize the irritants in my life on a day-to-day basis, then I'll finally start to feel peace. Or being at peace with the people around us. If I can just be in relationships where it's not tense, we're not fighting, where my friends are getting along, then I'm going to feel a sense of peace. And sometimes we're so eager to try to get that sense of peace with the people that we love that we will avoid conflict, even though we know we should say something. Or we keep people a little bit at arm's length because we know that if we get too close, we're going to have problems with each other and then conflict is going to break out. And so it's just better to kind of keep people at bay. For some of us, it's having our health intact staying free from illness, recovering from injuries that nag us. And yet when you look at all of these things, the central problem with this kind of peace is that it's largely out of your control. It gives you the illusion of control, right? I'm working two jobs. I'm working my butt off to try to get enough money. And if I just do that, if I pursue that, then I'll be all right. And yet what happens when there's a financial crisis? It destroys your investments. Or maybe something happens and it wipes out all of your savings and you're again in financial difficulty. Or maybe you're trying your best to be at peace with the people around you and yet they're not cooperating. They're dramatic people and they're bringing all sorts of drama into your life that you don't want. Maybe you're trying to eat well. You're trying to exercise. You're trying to avoid things that's going to you know, increase your risk. And yet you go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis that's just devastating. 
All of these things are outside of your control in the ultimate sense. And yet what we see is that the peace that Christ offers us is something totally unique and independent of our circumstances. We see that the peace that comes from Christ is assurance that God has a plan and purpose for us. You know, one of the things that caused me a lot of worry and anxiety in my life before I met Christ was not knowing why I mattered. Feeling a sense that my life was insignificant and that all of the things that I was pursuing had no real end. And what was amazing, what was relieving was coming into a relationship with God and God filling my life with purpose and meaning in Christ, independent of the things that I was doing. Also, the peace that comes from Christ is knowing that God is involved in our lives, even times of intense suffering. We talked about this at length last week, but here's the thing. God says that he can work all things for good in your life even the worst kind of suffering. And having that assurance gives us a sense of peace that transcends all understanding. And finally, the peace that comes from Christ is peace with God. What the Bible declares is that one of the major things that causes us internal tension and struggle is this realization that something is missing in our lives. And no matter what we try to do to fix that, there's nothing that ever fills that sense of emptiness that we have in our hearts. And that's because God has created us to be in a relationship with us. He's designed us that way. And so when we come into a relationship with Christ, we can feel that sense of peace that comes from having that enmity that exists between us and God disappear. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, according to the Bible, true happiness is connected to having peace with God. It's really the starting point for true happiness in your life. And I'd encourage you, if you're here tonight and you don't know if you've ever come into a relationship with God, to realize that He has gone to great lengths to reconcile Himself to you, to create and broker peace through His Son, Jesus. And all you have to do is turn to him in faith and acknowledge what Jesus has done. And at that moment, God says, you can have peace with him. Finally, he says, when we have all of this peace, that it will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I love that imagery. It's sort of like a fortified city where the sentries on the walls of the city are guarding They're hard at work. They're vigilant. But the inhabitants within the city feel a sense of peace and they're worry-free because they know that they're protected. And in the same way, when we look at our lives, when we know that God is involved, 
The peace that we can have isn't something that we are responsible for. It's something that God freely gives to us in Jesus Christ. Yeah, it definitely surprises me and blows me away that um, you speak with relevance um, to our culture. To think that a document like this that was written 2,000 years ago um, talks about things that we're struggling with today is amazing and is a testament to your reality and uh, the fact that you do speak truthfully into history. And just thank you that you want to offer us a message of hope here, Lord. I feel like we're living in a time where there's a lot of hopelessness, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of people just struggling with mental health issues. And um, we're grateful that you do offer hope and instruct us on how we can experience true happiness. And um, I pray that you would challenge us to think about ways that we can cultivate more gratitude or turn to you in prayer when we're struggling with anxiety. And for those of us who don't know you, to just begin the process of, of having real happiness and joy in our lives by having peace with you. We pray that if there's any here tonight who realize that they've never turned to you, that they would accept the gift that you're offering them through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for anyone who accepted that in his name. Amen. This study was recorded at Xenos Christian Fellowship and is copyrighted. You may freely copy and distribute it as long as you keep it intact and do not sell it.